This is Music Ed Amplified. Well, well, well. I never thought it would happen. But the 2020-2021 school year is done. I hope that it is done for you at this point as well. And even if you have some work to do, I hope that you are able to truly rest and just be this summer. I don't think this has ever been as true as it is this year, but you earned this summer break. Thank you for all you did. And thank you if you did less than you wanted to because it kept you more balanced. And thank you if you did extra because you had it in you and pushing in that way helped you cope with all the changes happening outside your classroom. No matter what you did, didn't do, wanted to do, failed to do, succeeded at, or did in as mediocre a way as ever was done in a classroom, you crossed the finish line. And that was a huge feat this year. Today, I present to you the finale of the very first season of the Music Ed Amplified podcast. I want to read to you the first mission statement that I created for this podcast in the fall of 2020. Music Ed Amplified is all about the ups and downs of teaching music in the real world. Missy and her guests engage with various Music Ed topics, approaches, and philosophies. Along the way, Missy will talk about how she's confronting racism, bias, and inequity, personally and professionally. Join Missy on the journey to create a more musical, joyful, thoughtful, just world. I couldn't be more thankful for the season we've had. The guests have blown me away with their passion, dedication, humility, humor, expertise, and commitment to see, value, and celebrate all students. I want to thank each one of them, and I hope to talk to you all again in future seasons. Today's final interview with music history professor Dr. Mark Peters might strike you as an interesting choice for a podcast generally centered on elementary music teaching, in addition to topics about cultivating an anti-racist, anti-bias philosophy and practice. I'm being honest when I admit that hearing music history professor often conjures up a picture of a middle-aged, cisgender, Christian white guy for me. And guess what? That's exactly who my guest is today. So why am I ending the season with this interview? The truth is, when I heard about the transformation that Dr. Peters has been doing in his classes, I wanted to know more, and I wanted to ask him questions, and I wanted to feel some hope for what is happening in undergraduate music education when it comes to music history, because I haven't felt much hope in the past couple years. And I also wanted this to be my first step in finding out about what is going on, not only in Dr. Peter's courses, but in the field more broadly, as well as what is going on with women and BIPOC musicians, music history students, writers, and professors, so that I can eventually learn about them as well and maybe even talk to some of them. And I am happy to say that my talk with Mark inspired me by encouraging me that there are programs where professors are making real change and that there are intentional efforts to see more diversity in the field. I think you will also be inspired. So let's listen in. So Dr. Mark Peters, which is kind of funny for me to say, um, because to me, you're just Mark. (laughs) 
<laughs> Welcome. Sounds good. <laughs> Thank Welcome you. to the podcast. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Yeah. And uh, you and I go way, way, way back. Way back. Yes. Yeah. Almost 30 years, which is weird because to me, you're 24 years old. So I'm not really, I'm not really sure how that works. <laughs> kind of like sure time either, zones. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but like, to me, you were one of this like group of like my little brothers. Like, that's how I thought of you guys. Um, and I'm so, you know, thankful and proud of what you've done and, you know, the things you've accomplished thus far. And I know uh, that for a long time, 30 years-ish, you have been uh, interested in history uh, and music history in particular. And I just wanted to start off by asking, because this is just interesting to me, what is what is it that's so compelling to you uh, about this, both personally and as a musician? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks very much for having me and, and, and talking. I'm excited to, to do this. I mean, we took <laughs> music history classes back together. I know. Back <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> yes. So it's been a long time. I mean, that's that's oh what got me into it. And I'm, I'm not, not even sure how I started getting interested in history, other than our, our professor, Sam Shu. Yes. Um, who I worked with and then served as his, his assistant for two years. And then from there went into a historical musicology graduate program. So clearly I had an inclination toward that, but sure. there's not like a, a moment that clicked for me for, for thinking about history. It's just something that I've always been interested in and kind of reading about, uh, studying, talking about. Um, so even, even though I did a music ed degree for my undergrad, by the time I was finishing undergrad, I went, went right into Oh my gosh, that. I totally forgot that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am valid on the music well, ed I was, podcast. I was just going to say, you've like, <laughs> now you've increased, is that funny? Uh, you probably don't run in circles where saying that would like boost you in somebody's estimation. But to me, it's like, okay, now he's yeah. you've really, you've had a glow up as the youngsters say. <laughs> Well, it's, it's only in recent years. I've been I've been a professor now at Trinity Christian College. Uh, just finished my seventeenth year. Huh. Um, so in more recent years, I've done more reflecting on just the nature of history and the study of history. And I've had a couple awesome groups of students for honors seminars um, a couple different times when when we kind of thought about this. And most most recently in this past. Uh, spring 2020 semester, a, a course called Remembering Rightly, uh, thinking about the nature of history and of memory, um, and thinking about history as uh, history is not the past. History is not just what happened in, in the past. History is the stories we decide to tell about hmm. what happened in the past. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's, a, it's, about, the, it's about people, and um, we have to decide what we're going to tell, what we're going to study, what we're going to convey. Uh, I, I won't re I won't get the whole sentence here, but uh, when I kind of introduce this to students thinking about history as who tells what about whom right. and why and how and all kinds of questions yeah. there that have to do with history. But I mean, history is always dynamic. It's never just one thing. It's not never just a static thing, static thing in the past. And that, that's exciting to me to think about. Hmm. You've you almost made history seem interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, I'm a, kind of a super nerd when it comes to history, not like, you know, 
not professor level, but it is, of course. I mean, I think for me, I tend to think, this sounds so cheesy, but it's true. I mean, I just think about connection, like, Mm -hmm. and um, history as a way to see see ourselves reflected, you know, Mm -hmm. both ways, because, you know, humans are humans, you know, we're doing really crappy awful things and we're doing wonderful things and we're doing monotonous everyday things and extraordinary things all the time there's not one time period where it's like they only did horrible things and then they only did fantastic things so for me history is a a way to kind of reflect and look back and then think about how we're going to be reflected i think about that a lot you know, in 20 years, 40 years, 100 years, you know, what stories will they be telling about us? I'm honestly a little frightened. <laughs> but right now, maybe, yes. Good news, I won't be there, but still. <laughs> um, but anyway, what was the name of the course you said? Remembering Rightly? Remembering Rightly with a subtitle of The Ethics of Memory. Oh, my gosh. Um, I love that. <laughs> it was great. And it's a, it was an honor seminar. It's, um, nine students, honor seminars at Trinity are intentionally interdisciplinary. Right. So students are coming from all different disciplines and, and thinking about the idea of memory in different ways. So we thought about history. We thought about the ways that stories are being told now, uh, stories that are being have been left out in the past, stories mm-hmm. that are being included now that have been left out in the past, different ways of telling stories about the past. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, that just sounds amazing to me. Had, had you had that course before? I taught a version of it in the past, but okay. just the nature of it as, as a seminar meant it's different every time mm. and kind of a different approach to the topic. But I was thinking and just kind of preparing to talk with you today about kind of two things we read that I think were really influential for us as a course. Uh, one is a classic book in historiography uh, by Michel Rolf Trouillot uh, called Silencing the Past, Power and the Production of History, um, which <laughs> yeah, is um, just really significant in thinking about just what gets told, what gets left out, who tells what, who um, who gets to tell what stories and about about whom. Um, and reading that book, uh, my students were getting angry, uh, not at the book, but at their U.S. education that mm-hmm. has left out so much history. I bet. Yeah, and yeah, so they, they got fired up from that book and I got excited to read that with them. And then at the same time, we were reading a, a book of poems by Naomi Shihab Nye, who is one of my favorite poets right now. And uh, this particular collection that we're reading, it's very timely right now uh, because it's uh, about Jana Jihad. Um, mm-hmm. She is a Palestinian young woman, um, 13 or 14 years old right now. At age, at age eight, she lives in Gaza. Mm-hmm. At age eight, she started pulling out her cell phone and recording what was happening in Gaza wow. as as the news that was being told around the world was only from the Israeli perspective. Right. And she, as a young woman, Palestinian, saying, this is what's actually happening. Hmm. And that's, um, and these are poems that are based on those stories of Jana Jihad. Hmm. And kind of giving a, a voice to those who have would not have had a voice in the past. Um, yeah. And I think that was hopeful for my students also to say that yeah. we don't have to be locked into to what history has been in the past. There, there are new ways of telling stories. There are different stories we can tell. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. 
I mean, that's that does give hope, I think. I yes. mean, I know the one thing for me, I actually said this maybe a week and a half ago is, you know, there's a lot of things about my parenting that I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not winning any awards for. <laughs> but right there with you. Yeah. Recently, uh, my oldest sons and I sat down and as they were talking, I just spontaneously had this moment of some things went right. <laughs> You know, like nice. listening to them talk um, and listening to kind of the passion um, about uh, doing the right thing, even when it's difficult, speaking out for oh, the oppressed, finding the truth, you know, in spite of mm -hmm. what narrative you've been delivered. So it was kind of like there was just moment because a lot of times I'm just I walk around thinking like, oh, this is we're in trouble like you know so i'm yep. glad to hear yep. that you know you're yeah. having this experience at trinity um because when i reflect back on when i started teaching you know elementary general music and what i taught and i remember thinking that like music teachers were the only people who were going through this where it was like well i was taught this mm. way and you know is it okay if i do something different am i is, is that like disrespectful to the people who taught me before? What was it like mm -hmm. when you started out as a professor teaching music history? Were you already kind of changing things or were you kind of in the mold of what some programs are like, some universities? Mm -hmm. I mean, from the beginning, I, I had a, a graduate assistantship my first year at University of Pittsburgh already assisting for uh, intro to music literature course. Um, and in, in that kind of context, there are 300 students. I'm meeting with four groups of 25, 30 each. Like right. I'm, I'm just locked into what the professor is doing. Right. There's a textbook and I'm teaching from the textbook based on what the, the main professor is doing. Right. Uh, then I, I taught a couple courses by myself at University of Pittsburgh, uh, versions of this same course. Um, and I found myself, I think, as many new, new teachers do, doing it the way I had yeah. seen this other professor do it and, and following the textbook there as well. Um, a turning point for me was a year I spent at West Virginia University. So after I had finished my PhD, I had a half year, sorry, a half time appointment for, for a year at West Virginia University. Okay. And I worked there with Chris Wilkerson, who's since retired, but he's a, a musicologist and he was chairing the faculty senate for that year so my hire was uh replacing half of his teaching load ah, okay. um and he shared his office with me he walked me through all his his coursework ev like every step of the way for a first year instructor wow. it was it was an amazing mentoring experience for me and he was already doing new things he didn't use a textbook for for this course. It was another, again, an intro to music literature course, right. general education. Well, that's course. pretty unusual, though. I mean, just based on my experience, you know, everything is pretty textbook centric. I, I think it's getting less so, but yes, <laughs> we, can, we can come back to that too. Yes, I'll, I'll yes, back to yes. Textbooks. But he, he didn't and helped to, to break me out of that mold. And then I came to Trinity the following year. And um, for a few years, I used a, a standard textbook for this general sure. education music history course. 
And then um, had an opportunity after three years, uh, Trinity had a summer program for professors, um, which was to come meet with other professors, all, all kinds of different disciplines, but bring a course that you want to transform. Wow. We read, we read a book together, we worked through it together, we talked about our courses, we workshopped things together. And out of that, I, I completely reworked what, with what I was doing. I got rid of the textbook. Hmm. I think the textbook industry is, is a fraud also. That's a different topic. <laughs> <laughs> don't get Students me started. Pay $100 for a book they're never going to use again. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like that. But, um, but that, that workshop helped me to rework this course and to, to be thinking about it in new ways and to move away from just kind of a linear here's the scope of music history that right. I and I when you say this much. course are you talking about the kind of basic undergrad I mean for lack of a better term like mm -hmm. music history or something like that something it is different? it's a okay. general education course uh, here it's now called music in context yes. um, when back then it was called introduction to music literature which is the most boring name for a course ever <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's a general education sure. course for students of any major um, okay. to have that they take for a fine arts credit within within our general education. But what program. about like a music ed major? Is do they? I'm just thinking of our experience. Like, is yeah. there some analog for that, or does does everybody take that course that you're saying, talking about? Excuse me. That. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when we've we got went... a complicated system here, Missy. You're getting it, getting into it. You guys are it. so progressive. I can't keep up. With it. <laughs> no, but I mean, okay. So, uh, so basically, it's not exactly what we experienced, which was like music history one, music history two. No, it's okay. not that. This okay. is designed. This is uh, our music majors do take this course, but so do our business majors and nursing majors. And that's it, awesome. It assumes that it doesn't assume any musical knowledge to start from it's just a you need a fine arts credit this yep. is yep. one that you can take okay right you workshopped or what were the multiple ripple effects okay of that? <laughs> yeah i think so one that i mentioned is um i i just moved away from using any textbook which is very freeing um early on and i i was i was posting music through our online system okay. uh, so students would listen to music in that way um, and I shifted the idea of text that to, to being that students essentially don't read any words in my course. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, they hear words. We speak right. words. They write words. But I don't, I don't have readings for them. And I okay. explained it early on. Like, our text for this course is the music. Mm. So in the first quarter of the course, we're going to talk about how do we talk about music together? Hmm. Um, and we start with just basic orientation to how important music is in our lives, connecting with themselves and their own lives. The first 47 hours of class from the first class <laughs> to the second, I have them record all the music they hear. Like where, where are all the places that music are sh is showing up in your life? Wow. Um, so I really want to get them connected with the idea like this. Yeah, this is actually something that's important to me. Even if yeah. I'm not, even if I don't consider myself to be a musician. Yeah, so that first quarter of the course we're getting into then, then I work through things like rhythm and tempo and meter, melody, harmony, etc. And for each of those, I have, I have a series of questions that I introduce to students and frame for how, how, are, we, how are we going to listen to this music and talk about it together? And I mm -hmm. 
found that helpful because some students are musicians and they're like, oh yeah, I know melody, I know harmony. Right. Um, and they start using all this jargon, but they can't talk to the non-musicians about it in <laughs> <Sure>. that way. <laughs> so I'm giving us all new terminology for, for how do we talk about it. Okay. So that's, that's our first quarter. And then um, the second quarter of the course, I just do a quick overview of style periods. So medieval, Renaissance, um, romantic, classic, etc. cetera. Um, and we just do one class on each of those, but we do two aspects to that class. One is what's the musical style. And for that, the prevailing musical style, of course, um, for that, we use all those questions that we developed in the first quarter of the course to say, how do we listen to classic music and what's the melody generally like in this mm. music? Um, but then we think about some important connections between music and society in that time period. So mm, how that's... is music fitting? With, and that's where the music in context sure. <laughs> title comes in also. How is music fitting within broader trends within society? How are people, real people, relating to music? in this time period. And then, um, so that's half the course. The second half of the course, I go through five different contexts. And this I all do, I don't do chronologically, even the style periods, I don't do chronologically anymore. I start with mm -hmm. the Baroque because that's way easier than, right. than medieval. Sure. <laughs> so right. I go from Baroque to jazz and then jump around from there. <laughs> wow. So then the second half of the course, I move through different places music shows up. So talking about with students about like when people in history and today listen to music, it's not usually in a concert. That's, right. that's a special occasion. It's fairly rare. And that's been true historically also. <laughs> so we work through five contexts. One is music for the home. So much music that uh, has been composed in music history uh, was intended to be performed in the home. So we think about the home as a context. We think about dance as a context. We think about the Christian church as a context. Uh, we think about theater as a context. So opera and musical theater and, right. and movies. And then, and then finally we come to the concert hall. So here's music for the concert hall. So for each of those, um, I picked two or three examples. I'm not trying to be comprehensive, but right. we do music for the concert hall. We do symphony um, with William Grant Still. And then we do concerto. Um, and then we do bebop <laughs> as three different manifestations of music that's designed for the concert hall. Right. Uh, music for the home, we do 19th century art song in Europe. And then we um, do the blues as both music that's, that's for the home that grows out of natural life. Wow. And how is this unique, what's happening when you look around at your colleagues and, you know, around the country or the world, whichever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think more people are moving in this way. And it's, it's approach, an approach, the, the longer I teach, the less I worry about how much I'm going to cover. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want students to think differently about music in their life. And now, are you saying that cool. because in the beginning you did worry about that? Yeah. Yeah, because like, it's just occurring to me now that that must be, that must normally take up a large amount of real estate for a music right. historian. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and are you going in a certain order and who do you, oh, well, I guess it's still, it still must be a challenge, you know, what music is being featured, mm -hmm. you know, in, in your instruction, I mean. 
Right. Um, yes. You know, because inevitably you're going to have to leave something out. Yeah. Huh. And I, did, I actually didn't find it hard to leave the things out when I was deciding to leave things <laughs> out. <laughs> this was part of the, my reworking of the course in 2007. I was like, these business majors don't need to be able to explain sonata form. Right. Exactly. Like, that's not important. <laughs> and to be honest, I don't know that every yeah. musician needs to be able to do that, but okay. <laughs> right. So, so things like that to, to think about what are the important things for these students as they're connecting with music in their own lives. And I certainly want them to hear and learn and experience and hopefully enjoy a, a lot of new music that they've never heard before. Um, but like these technical classical terms, I, I don't think are that important. And if they, if they don't hear any Handel, I don't care. I don't even like Handel that much. Sorry. Is, oh. Are we recording this? <laughs> you are going to have your card revoked. <laughs> I think in music ed, you're seeing like, like similar arcs. Um, like there are some people who are like, I've always done it this way. And, and, you know, they're not really saying it that way, but that's what they're communicating. You know, this was good for me. I grew up and I became a musician, so I'm still doing the same things. Then you have some people who are like way out, you know, just doing any, like whatever they want, which I'm starting to become more of that person. <laughs> yes. The older we get. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, and I think like right now where I am is. We're in this uh, time in elementary uh, and probably older, but I'll just speak to elementary general music education where it's, you know, relevance for the students. So for a long time, it was, I know what's best. I'm the authority. Um, and I was, you know, leading the charge of that type of, uh -huh. you know, approach. And then we had these people coming and saying, like, let the children, like, we have things called, like, who owns the learning where, you know, student directed uh -huh. thing. And I will admit that I still have this authoritarian, you know, I always a closeted <laughs> authoritarian who's like, well, I still know best, you know, that mm -hmm. I'm fighting, but I am now authentically experiencing the kind of joy of really focusing on students, you know, like, as opposed to, I need to tell you all the things that you need to know. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find this balance between having a tiny bit of that. Like I st still want to guide you, but mm -hmm. I want this to be both relevant to you and exciting to you and engaging to you for your life, for your, for now and in the future. So when you hear me saying all that, is there anything that hits you in your field that you want to talk about? Yeah, for sure. I, I'm kind of thinking in, two big different directions in relation to that. One is maybe I'll just say this briefly, maybe I'll do them both briefly and then you can ask me like which one we should talk about some more <laughs> from there. Um, one is musicology as a field has uh, been really exciting in the last 30, 40 years as it, there's been a huge opening up to so much more music than had been studied before. Well, that's good uh, to hear, because can I tell you, it doesn't always feel like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but maybe I'm yes. just speaking from my experience 30 years ago. I, I'm certainly right. not plugged into, like, the matrix of what's going on in musicology. So yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, there's, there's so much more. There's so much more connection now between historical musicology and ethnomusicology, overlap between the two. 
um, and just so much more moving toward really hearing the music and the stories of all people, mm. not only the white European men who we studied right. in our undergrad music history. Right. Um, but the textbooks haven't caught up. That's so for if sure. you, you go to a uh, conference for the American Musicological Society, you'll hear all kinds of music and all kinds of stories and uh, just all across the world and uh, all different styles and um, yeah, just everything. But the textbooks are, are still dead white European men. Hmm. Um, and I, I was just looking at, at one today because I wanted to have at least one example in front of us. I wouldn't even say which one it is because they're all, uh, it, it's representative sure. of the, the whole trend. The description on the publisher website, how and why to listen to, understand, and enjoy great music. Mm. So first of all, it's naming it as great music. And I've heard that, I've heard you talk about this with others <laughs> on your podcast before. It's like, who gets to say what great music Who's is? Who's deciding that? Yes. And we had a, and, but, and then when you dig into this, the great music in this book is, is music of white European men. Sure. I did a, a quick, uh, just quick overview today. So 77 pieces. One okay. is anonymous. So there are 78 like listening charts in the book. All right. Listening examples. Set. Oh, okay. We'll have a game. You can guess. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. 77 <laughs> pieces of music. How many think? How many of those pieces do you think uh, feature a woman of color? Um, zero. Close one. Whoa! I'm uh, shocked that there's one. Okay, yes, Bessie Smith in the jet in the oh. jazz. There's a jazz. Oh, chapter. because it's so get... going. See, I'm still yeah. like like yeah. I'm <laughs> thinking about like 400 years ago. Right, right. Yes. Okay. How about how about men of color? Out of 77. Well, Scott Joplin is in there probably. Mm -hmm. Um. Miles Davis. Yeah, there is a jazz chapter, so that that okay. boosts it up. So yeah, there there are five. Five. <laughs> yes. Way to go, textbook. Five. Yeah. <laughs> three of three of them are in the jazz chapter. Oh my word. So and then <laughs> yes, and then how about white women out of seventy-seven pieces? Claire Schumann. Yes. Um. Boulanger is she in there? Um, uh, uh, no, she's not a. She's she was. I don't remember if she is or not. Okay, there's some twentieth. There's some twentieth century though. Um, yeah. I mean, those are really the only two that I know, which is frightening. Off, <laughs> I mean, off the top Hildegard. of my head. Oh, Hildegard von Bunchen. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, right. Yes. See, now you got. Uh, now I was coming this way. Okay, right, I was yes. coming more modern. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. so. So there are eight. Eight pieces eight. by by white women. Which okay. leaves 63 out of 77 that are by white men. Wow. So that's that's the story that's being told, is that this is great music, and this great music is composed by white men. Sure. <laughs> I'm no uh, mathematician, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> those numbers tell a story. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that, that's one way I was thinking in... In that and, and again a real dichotomy between the the research that's being done in the field which is much more diverse than that and what's actually getting into the textbooks this textbook it's very ancient it was published in 2020 so Whoa, <laughs> <look at> 2020 <laughs> yeah so that's one thing i was thinking but then the other direction i was thinking is in in my course the first music that students encounter in my course is their own music Whoa. The first question on the first day I ask them is, what's the last piece of music you heard? 
so I had them think about that. And then from there, when, when ideally we are all back in person, we go around the room and hear from each person. I have right. relatively small class, about 30 students. So th right. like we can hear from everybody there, but I ask them, what's the last music you heard? Where were you? What, what were you doing? Were you with anybody else? So as they're mm. thinking about and entering into a course that's music in context, I want them to be thinking about their own context. Their own context. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And how does that like, that must be really interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's yes. no people are any is anybody like trying to flex like, oh, I was just like listening to some Gregorian chant. <laughs> Because I'd be like, no, oh, I don't think Stevie so. Wonder and... <laughs> <laughs> there was one time when I was I was explaining to students what we were doing because in, I also have them um, share examples where, where we'll right. listen to music that they bring in across a wide variety of... I give them kind of a general topic, music that's meaningful to you, music right. that you believe to be beautiful, etc. Hmm. The first day of class, the students said, but my music has cursing in it. I'm like... Okay, bring it in. Like <laughs> this is your music. So <laughs> yeah. And it it's freeing for students to say this is a safe place for you to share your music. But yeah. it's not me telling you what great music is, but I want you to help I want to help you recognize how important music is in your own life and mm -hmm. where it shows up and what you think about it. Maybe because I'm talking to people so much about it and we're actually not plugged in to like university musicology things mm. and to us i think yeah. a lot of us are just reaching back to our experience so we're like oh every you know the colleges are still teaching dead white guy music you know and they are yeah. as the as the yeah. epitome of um all musics and stuff and so i guess you're giving me hope but is this hope like a small hope or is this like are you in a little you know enclave of super progressive musicology <laughs> <laughs> no no <laughs> or is it like is it broader is it yeah it, it's definitely broader um i'm looking forward to later this month uh attending a conference the teaching music history conference okay and there are a lot of presentations about topics like this mm. and I, i've attended this conference before and there are inclinations toward this. Um, I don't know if it's allowed to say it's usually younger people who are <laughs> more inclined <Makes> sense, <laughs> to, yes, right? to open it up and not be locked into this, this just the same way of doing everything as before. Um, but it's, it's so much the field of musicology. Like that's what the field is. I'm, I'm baffled myself. Like, why isn't this showing up in the textbooks? I mean, all, all, the textbooks aren't changing from from what's coming out. So you're right; people are buying them, people are assigning them for their students. It's the right. same same pattern, prevailingly white men with a few other others. I, in, I use that in quotes, sprinkled in <laughs> to right. kind of added to the story, but the story is the same. Um, but I I am hearing from more people who are moving away from textbooks, who are really seeking to reshape the story in their own way. Um, and to hear from all, all people and to have more of a representation of, of all people in their music. So, so I think that's exciting. Um, again, the research is, is there is in terms of what people are, are researching. And I, but I think that's why I was really interested to, do, to think about this in relation to a general education, like just a, a basic foundation, foundational course. 
Um, because I think a lot of professors will be teaching a much more diverse body of music in upper level seminars right. um, and kind of engaging students around these, these much more diverse topics. Um, we're broadly hearing the voices of all human persons in those upper level music major seminars. But the gen ed courses are where most of our students are. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm at a small school, but I, I teach 50 to 60 students in uh, this course, Music in Context, every fall. Right. I just had an um, upper level music history seminar this past uh, semester. I have nine students. I mean, it's the, just it's a lot fewer students sure. <laughs> with that. Sure. So what's the story that most of our students are hearing? It's, it's most of our students are hearing this story of this music is the music of white men. Mm. People aren't, I mean, people aren't saying that, but that's the music they're listening to. That's what the textbooks are, are teaching. I'm also thinking of, um, I was in February at a conference for the Society for Christian Scholarship in Music, and it was okay. uh, some very intentional uh, conversation there about how do we think about uh, justice? How do we think about equity and inclusion? Uh, we had a, a panel specifically addressing that that was led, that was organized by a graduate student um, mm -hmm. and um, in that group, which is also a very interdisciplinary group. So it has uh, people coming from musicology, ethnomusicology, theology, liturgy, uh, congregational song studies, a lot of different um, mm. perspectives coming together to talk there. Um, so that's exciting to think about there as well. Um, I'll be interested to see um, with American Musicological Society, that's the large music that's history conference. One, yeah. I'm not, I haven't looked lately. I'm not sure if that uh, conference has been a sorry I'm not sure if the program has been announced yet for the fall but I'll, I'll be interested to see what yeah. those presentations are like there as well well and here's a hard question that I fear to hear the answer to uh -oh. um <laughs> what is the makeup of these groups are you seeing a lot of you know BIPOC people you know are you seeing a, a lot of people of color coming into um musicology and these things or is it still pretty much white you know white guys is that something that's being discussed do you hear that kind of discussion like how can we get more diversity do you see that as something that's a focal point for the profession yes for sure and there's an intentionality about that from the american musicological society there's an intentionality i've, I've been much more involved with the society for christian scholarship in music right. um i just ended a term as president of that society we recently established a committee for justice, equity, and inclusion, okay. and that that society already is very intentional about being welcoming, especially to graduate students, to say this is a place where, where you're welcome, where you right. belong here. This is yeah. not an elite club. This is, right. this is for everybody. So That's I think good. there it's, yeah, even more an intentionality about um, ev everyone's welcome in this place. Now you've just gone through one cycle of music in context. Is that correct? Or the new, right. the, was it called that before? Or no, we changed it... the name at that time also. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, can you tell me, can you talk about how you, how you thought it went, uh, both from your own perspective, if you know from the students what they thought, and it, I'm assuming you're going to do it again mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah. Uh, Will there be changes? What worked really well? So this was in that honors seminar I mentioned, which is not a, it's not a music course, but on the, on the nature of memory and history. So in that course, it was, it was spring 2020. Um, 
it was before we left for the pandemic. I don't remember right when it was, but it was in the middle of that course as we're thinking about, wow. uh, we need to do things differently in the way right. we, we remember <laughs> and tell and tell history. And you're like, and we're about to do things very differently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I made a commitment to those students to say in this course, this music in context course, um, my students in that course are going to now listen to primarily music by women and persons of color. Hmm. So this is, I'm, I'm, this is not just kind of sprinkling in more women and persons of color to this story of white men, which I, I had done in the past. Um, but I want to tell a different story. I want to say that uh, this kind of music, and let me say kind of broadly, the kind of music is is music in the classical tradition. It's also African American vernacular music. So I've I've focused on jazz and blues and those other other traditions and gospel in that course in the past as well. So that that wasn't new. Right. But but to say we're going to listen to primarily music by women and persons of color. Right. Uh, so this is was the fall 2020 semester. Um, the course I taught asynchronously online. So yeah. I'm, I'm a all those of, words are giving me a twitch. Yeah. In my eye. <laughs> Hedging my bets to say, I have no idea what the students thought. <laughs> That's kind of nice in a way. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I have a little idea. We can come to that. But I reworked every single day of that course to say, what's the music that I can find? That's by women and persons of color that we're going to listen to, to illustrate whatever it is we're talking about today, whether it's melody or rhythm or music for dance, et cetera. Um, how, how are we going <laughs> to do that and listen to new music? And that's also where uh, kind of setting aside other musics we've listened to before, that I, I don't have any problem doing that. We don't listen to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony anymore. Fine. We listen to William Grant Still's Afro-American Symphony instead on that, right. on that day. <laughs> right. It's a transformation to say this is, this kind of music, the symphony, is the music of African-American men. Here's mm. a man who composed this music, right. and that's what we're listening to. Um, and to do that every step of the way for every course, to come up with kind of new, new patterns of listening uh, for each of those days throughout the year. Um, and at the same time, to be more intentional about ways that students were sharing their own music. So we talked about that earlier. I, I looked for more ways for students to do that as well, to bring in their own music, music to the course as well. Um, so introduction to, to the classic period, to get them thinking in, into uh, music in the classic period, um, was post a piece of music that makes you happy. <laughs> because that's so much of what classic period is. It's music right. for entertainment, music to be pleasing, to get into capitalism and selling music. But right. like, what's music that makes you happy? Let's share, share that together. To get into the romantic period, what's, what's a piece of music that's full of emotion? And mm. they're, again, sharing their own music there. Um, and then... I would say I'm, I'm thinking, kind of jumping ahead, because I, I did not do it systematically to say, I want to I want to do this and study it as a research project. Right. Like it was it was fall 2020. I was just hanging on by, the, right. <laughs> by, by anything I could grasp yeah. on. Oh, I just yes. want to get to the next day. Right, so, right. But I was thinking about do students do students notice that we're listening to primarily music by women and persons of color. Right. Um, one thing that aided 
in that is that I could I was able to include photographs of all the composers and performers. So with mm -hmm. each piece of music, they had a photo of that person also. Okay. So even the visual cue to say, um, and as, as I was doing this, I was intentionally thinking about persons who have self-identified as as women, who have self-identified as persons of color or right. have been identified in the historical record as persons okay. of color. I want to just <laughs> clarify that. I'm not like guessing people's identities sure. based on photographs, sure. but yeah, um, yeah. I want to try to convey that also to students um, that this is a different story mm -hmm. uh, that we're hearing in this course. So a, a couple things um, that were positive at the end of the year, at the end of the of the semester, I have students students write a paper called Music in My Life, and they kind of reflect a lot on just their own connections with music. Um, and those papers were a lot richer in this semester. And I think yeah. some of it was, some of it may have been what I did differently with the course. I think a lot of it was just them being able to they were appreciative to have any course in the middle of a pandemic. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yes. But I think a lot of students also recognized how important music really is to them yeah. through that course. Yeah. yeah. And then they also, at the end of the semester, write, a, it's called a music attention paper, where they write about 10 pieces of music over the course of the semester that got their attention. And hmm. to, to get to that, every, every day in their listening, they, they write a discussion post to say, What's one piece of music from t today that got your attention? Okay. So at the end of the semester, they already have 20 some pieces that they've written about. All right. So they can just take. Yeah, they, they go back to those kind of expand on on those. But just because we were listening to, to a much wider diversity of music, those final papers had a had a much broader diversity of, of pieces. That yeah, that must have been really about. interesting. I was yeah. thinking, like, if you think about Dr. Shu, like how many papers <laughs> Like how many Brahms papers do you think like he read in his career? Like that and really poorly done ones. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, so it must be interesting, you know, in your position to, to see this kind of, this shift of just, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, and like a higher, I would imagine a higher level of, you know, engagement and investment yes i'd say absolutely for for those that I, I saw the students being much more engaged personally with the music mm. um and just exciting to hear from them how they're experiencing this music much of which they're hearing for the first time um in a wide wide variety of styles but that's um yeah all right i have a question exciting. to ask i don't know if you're if you'll feel comfortable and Answering it. And I don't, I'm just formulating it as I go. When you think about music history 30 years ago, and generally speaking, what an undergrad music major was learning, and what some undergrad, you know, the changes. So let's say a program like yours, or if you know anybody else's, mm -hmm. where it's pretty, you know, there's been this sea change that I brought up, you know, what's what was it then? What is it now? And how do these dead European white guys play? Is it, um, and I'm asking this because I think about this, is it like get rid of all that or is it put it in a smaller part of that? Mm. Uh, how would you describe that to someone like me 
the first day of class, I tell my students, music is something that people do. Music is an yes. action. <laughs> Doing. That's what we talk about a lot in our thing. Yes. Nice. So I think that's been a major change in musicology in the past 30 years. I, in the past, music has been considered like this, these notes on the page or this something we study sound that is performed in this. Um, well, the context doesn't even matter. We just need to get the, like analyze the form and kind of engage it in that way. So over the past 30 years, like, again, this is like all that's very exciting to me in the field is just what so many people are doing now to think about music as what people do how music relates to our lives, how music relates to broader cultures. So for me, I, my goal is to bring that to students and in, and including what you were just talking about, that they're bringing their own music in too um, and considering their, their own. So this is not, again, going back to one of your earlier podcasts, this is not you just have to leave your, like, be ashamed. Don't talk about the music you actually like. Right. <laughs> and I'm going to teach you what the great music is. Right. Here's the good music. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> But no, when I, when I engage it, I, but I, I also want students to encounter music they've never heard before, and I want them to encounter it and talk to them in terms of, this is something some person created, and they created it for you, <laughs> and they, they want to communicate with you in some way. Hmm. So even if you don't like it right away, please like give it a chance. Try to listen yes. to what they're trying to communicate in, in this music. So. I'd say that's the big change is to, to focus more on people um, and then people are making the music. Music is a, a product of what we as humans do. It's how we express our, ourselves. It's how every people group in across history and across the world has expressed themselves. It sounds very different in different times and places, mm -hmm. but, but we all make music. We all make art. That's, that's, that's right. who we are. Yeah. Um, and may, maybe I would say that also you keep saying music history. I know. I don't know. I don't know like the right thing for it to me because we called it music history. I know. History. Yes. That's, that's I mean, what it is to me. Yes. But One school thing I... me. School me, Dr. Peters. I don't know what it's called. Okay. Ah. I mean, it, it is, but like this is not advertised as a music history course. Right. Um, even though that's my field, that's what I'm coming from in historical musicology. Um, but one thing I found with making these changes in this this past year is we we listened to a lot more music of living composers. I was gonna, I, I had a, I have it written down somewhere here if I can find it of what we <laughs> listened to. Um, I think, yeah. So in the new iteration of the course, we listened to two hundred six pieces of music across Ooh. the whole semester. So we listened to more music. Um, Forty two of them were by living composers, hmm. and. That I can, and I was intentionally looking for what's something that was like has just come out. Right. So if, like we had a lot last year that I don't, I don't know how many in front of me from 2020, from 2018. Mm. Like to say this is coming out of this tradition, but this is what composers are doing right now. Um, and here are examples of that, and here here's what they're doing. Um, and so these were the pieces that you were. It was primarily. Uh, people of color and women, or was this their um, their own music? When you say this, oh, oh no, this is this is the music that I brought. Okay, okay. Not, not not the music that students brought. Okay, yes. so so then yes, it was primarily or all was it all um, by people of color and women? 
not not all just okay primarily yeah, this is kind of going back to another question you asked I, I really was seeking a balance to say um so the first day of like my first class where I give them six of my very favorite pieces of music I'm keeping Brahms Opus yeah. 118, number two, intermezzo, because it's of the course. most beautiful piano piece in the history of piano pieces. <laughs> <laughs> but that's one out of six pieces on that right. day. We also listened to Lily Boulanger, Aretha Franklin, Oscar Peterson, um, Gabriella Lena Frank, a string quartet, and um, da, 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 Horace Silver. Okay. So, so there's there's white one white man who's a composer on that first day. Wow. Um, the rest are not. So that's I, I wasn't seeking to leave out all all white men from that. Right. But I wanted them to be in the minority, which we have been in terms of population in the history of humanity. So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so not often re reflected in the record, but yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> to more accurately reflect all human persons is, right. is my goal. OK. When you're choose when you chose those six pieces of music. And then the the music for the rest of this class. Mm -hmm. What was guiding you in those selections? And I think you had a mm -hmm. nice thing, right? Because the students were also bringing their music in, yes. right? So you had 206 pieces, you said? Right. Yes. So 206 pieces of music that you were able to choose. They're right. also bringing in their music. What yes. things were guiding you in the choosing of that? And what I'm hoping is this will help teachers who are listening not that they're going to say okay i'm going to do exactly what he did but right i'm trying to help people and myself to be honest you know free our minds to be less tied to what we did um and keep the things that are good from what we did you know it's not throw everything out how what guide what guided you in that process and maybe it can give us some insight um starting from students for sure um and as students are are sharing music as a as I've shared already, this idea of having students bring in their own music, I've, I've been increasing that incrementally over the years as I've seen the benefit of that um, and to allow, allow students to then essentially generate content for the course, mm -hmm. which, which helps to displace me from being the expert who's, who's yeah. bringing in the music. Because this is, this is our course. And I, yeah. I use that language with students very much and try to displace from myself from this, this expert me mentality, which students are bringing in. They, like, they expect the teacher to be the expert. But right, right. no, no, I want to stay away from that. <laughs> You're like, I'm <laughs> like what I always say, Dr. Strong is lazy. I want you to do it. <laughs> I'm tired of leading no. this discussion. No. Ah, no. Yeah, but that... Um, finding ways for students to bring in their own voice. And I think that's crucial in any course, not just a music course, to, right. to bring their own perspectives, their own voice into the course. So that's kind of the one category of, of pieces of music, the, the one that students were sharing. In terms of uh, the music that I was sharing, I, I had, in, in one case, I have the particular story of this course that I want to tell. So that's the framework I gave over the kind of the four <laughs> quarters of the course. I kept that same that same framework. I didn't change that. What I changed was was the examples we're listening to. Um, so I, I liked that story. But I, what I wanted to say then is this is the story of all human persons who, who have chosen to engage with this music. Mm. Um, and then within that, to find what's natural 
for what for what I am teaching. I mean, I had some some practical stipulations. Uh, like the pieces have to be fairly short for me. Right. For me, I love the first movement of the Bruckner Seventh Symphony, but it's 22 minutes long. I'm not assigning mm -hmm. that to students <laughs> to listen to listen to. But to find, yeah, fairly short. It has to illustrate or engage with the topics that that I've set for those days. Um, so so there, that will differ obviously teacher to teacher based on what course you're teaching. What are your goals for that course? How you're how are you seeking to engage with students? But um, I just really encourage, encourage kind of a, a willingness to let go to say, we have to be locked into teaching this one particular thing, this one particular way that, that we've always done. Um, and the way that, that I want to broaden it is to say, my, my students probably get tired of hearing me say all human persons, but right. I say all human persons a lot <laughs> because mm -hmm. it's so, so important. We want to hear the music of all, mm -hmm. of all human persons. Um, so this is, I'm, I'm again, referring back to some, some of your earlier podcast episodes, but hearing from um, other educators who are encouraging us to, to rethink repertoire with yeah. students, yeah. just lay it out. Look, look at the story that's being told by your mm -hmm. repertoire. Yeah. I love, I, and I know, I know what you're talking about because that was a real revelation to me. Like, why did I never think to just lay out the repertoire and look at it and say, oh, like, yeah. here's what I think is important, you know, and that for so long, I never questioned it because somebody offered it to me as the greatest, you know, music and composers. Therefore, I must, you know, deign to give you this wonderful mm -hmm. gift of knowledge. Um, <laughs> and we're really breaking an important and terrible cycle i think mm -hmm. uh in in doing this and i i think that it's a it's a scary thing but like what you said you know encouraging a letting go and also kind of being okay with the disequilibrium that is necessarily going to follow you know mm -hmm. because i'm the kind of person who Okay, you're telling me to let go of this, but now I need the right answer here. <laughs> but the problem is it's a messy process, you yeah. know, where it's not like you leave something behind and immediately have a perfectly formulated, you know, Athenian, like, now I left that, but I will do this thing. No, I'm creating it. And in mm -hmm. doing so, I'll, and I'm talking about my classroom, you know, I'll, I'll mess up along the way. But as I do so, hopefully something beautiful is going to come out of that. Where I'm like, wow, like for me, this year talking about the music of India and the music of the Philippines and the music, mm. you know, and I really see. talking about this music. And just the other day, a kid saying, that reminds me of when we talked about India, when we were talking about I the see. Philippines. And she said, <laughs> yeah. they have festivals. The Filipinos have festivals. We have festivals. And I I'm like, right. We all have um, this this kind of broad umbrella um, of a festival. So what are the components? Food, music, mm -hmm. maybe fireworks or something like that. Like we were talking about, it's kind of funny, Dr. Strong, like it's all kind of the same. 
yeah. you know, there, there are things that are so many things that are the same, but there are these like little things that are different. This one, you know, these people are throwing colored powder everywhere, right? We're shooting yeah. off a billion fireworks over here, but the concept is the same. Yes. Um, celebration, tradition, ritual, human persons, yes. right? <laughs> but now let's talk about, so I love to talk about what connects us, Mm-hmm. But also the unique things to our yes. culture that we can appreciate. We don't have to take it. <laughs> we can just mm-hmm. be like, that's really cool. Um, and what are the things in my tradition that are, and like, how can we marry them? How can we leave them alone? I, that's what I mean. Like, there's all kinds of ways to process these things. Um, so I'm heartened to talk to you mm-hmm. and Right. Hoping that if there's any professors listening, and I know there are normally, um, that, you know, if you're not thinking in these ways that you would consider doing so, changing, changing the story or who's yeah. telling the story or how they're telling the story. I love that you said that. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you want to say, right. Mark Peters? Just two very quickly. One is it was not at all hard to find music by women and persons of color. Like there's so much. <laughs> That's, and by the way, so, how how did you find that? Or can you? That was the other thing I was going to say. Uh, you know, Google. What? <laughs> Never heard of it. Certainly online searching, but there there are so many resources available, and especially and so many new ones. Even in the last year, um, a couple that were really helpful to me. I wanted to mention one is the African American Art Song Alliance. Okay. Uh, which is both a web page and a Facebook group. I know that group. Yes, it's that's great. Um, so that that was a good resource for me, and also uh, the music of Asian American Research Center. Okay, I don't um, know that one. Which is also a web page and and a Facebook group there. Um, so those are two in particular. I would I would go to, but then just leading all sorts of other places. Just Do you know? I, I'm curious if you know um, Rob Deemer's um, Composer Diversity Database. I don't know that. Out no. of Fredonia. Well, write it down. Go okay. check it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's at Fredonia, um, and it just seems like some really, really, really uh, great work that I think it's called Institute for Composer Diversity. Um, but there's a database. There are a couple databases, actually. Um, there's like a choral one. A, I think it's one that, well, I don't know, I shouldn't speak to it because I'm not sure if it's instrumental works or something like that. Mm-hmm. Might be interesting cool. to look Thanks. at. Anyway, <laughs> thank you, Mark, for being here. As you could tell, I really love so much of what Mark was sharing about the changes he's made. I really hope this is something happening with greater frequency and rapidity in the music history and musicology world more broadly, and I look forward to seeing and hearing about a growing diversity of voices together at the table for real change. As Mark said, we must learn to give a voice to those who have not had it in the past. As always, head to the episode page at bit.ly slash musicedamplified to find out more about Dr. Peters and many of the things that were mentioned in our discussion. If you have questions or you want to share what the podcast has meant to you, please contact me at musicedwithmissy at gmail.com 
or head over to Music Ed with Missy on Facebook or Instagram or at DocStrong26 on Twitter to talk to me. The Music Ed Amplified podcast theme music was composed and performed by my husband, Jeremy Strong, who also helps produce the podcast, and my second-born son, Owen Strong. A huge thank you to Jeremy for all the work he's done in this, our first season of the podcast, to make it sound so good and for dealing with my constant and incessant demands. Love you, Jer. I know I say this every time, but it is always true. The best way for this podcast to get into the ears and brains and hearts of more and more educators is for you to subscribe and rate it wherever you listen to podcasts and to share it with others on your social media. I'm working hard to get these important discussions out to more and more people in order to facilitate real change in our profession. As always, thank you for spending some time with me. I will see you after a break at the beginning of the next school year. But until then, I hope that you have been encouraged, supported, challenged, and inspired, and that you are motivated to reflect on your philosophy and practice. I'll see you next time. But until then, keep doing all you can to create a more musical, joyful, thoughtful, and just world for your students, their families, and your community. Thank you.